Well, again, good morning. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. I want to start by saying it is really a delight to be able to gather this morning in in any way uh, that we can. And so we're thankful that you would take time and space to to join with us this morning. Um, Typically at this time I would pray, but before I do that, I just want to uh, one, thank Brian for opening us up in worship the way that we did, um, because I think it's important that we acknowledge the reality of what we're in, in our world. Um, and, and I'm aware that, uh, because I'm feeling it myself, and that lots of us, we have feelings all over the place about uh, what's going on in our world as we've continued to navigate what has already been a challenging year for many of us, um, and, and this past Wednesday, we saw something that many of us didn't even think was possible or didn't even know uh, could happen or would even think we would see in our lifetimes. Um, but it's also uh, things that have been going on for a long time that have built to that. Uh, things that Brian mentioned earlier this morning. Um, and I feel like uh, it's an ongoing sort of Uh, revelation of what is happening, right? We're seeing people who are tired, beat down, exhausted, sad, defeated, some hopeful in the midst of things, some learning, some stuck, some moving, and all kinds of other things. And all these things are being lived out. And the challenge that I have for myself is how do I own my own feelings my own actions or my own inactions in the face and in the midst of these things. And then ask, where, where is Jesus in all of this? How do I move in the direction that Jesus is going? How do I sense and follow the movement of the Spirit in these days? Because I believe, I believe that how the followers of Christ respond to the things going on in our world matters and can change and and bring flourishing to the world. So I've been asking myself those things because I do believe that the church can bring healing. But I think a lot of us are waiting for a miracle to happen. Some kind of thing that we don't really have to get involved, that Jesus will just kind of show up and, and make things happen. But what if the miracle is that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to go do the hard work? To overcome our own fears. To overcome our own obstacles and the things that that we battle against. To engage with reality. The reality that we live in this broken world and that some of us, thankfully, have been doing a great work to partner with Jesus and bring healing and restoration And some of us, and myself included, at times have been part of the brokenness. And how do we engage with that reality and work on those things and find ways to be helpful? Um, Yeah, with that, let's pray. God, we come before you um, just in all kinds of spaces and places today. Uh, asking and, and starting off with, Lord, we, we need you. Come, Lord Jesus, we need you. Um, and so that's our prayer. You would come and 
heal those that need healing. Come and confront those who need confronting. Empower all of us to be your good representatives here. May we would live out fully what it means to be a Christ follower and seek to bring flourishing to everyone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are continuing in our sermon series entitled Stories We've Been Told and it's an exploration of a handful of Old Testament moments. And the goal of this series is really to take a look at some moments that we may or may not be familiar with but see what the people and the places and environments in those stories have to say to us today. How will God open our hearts and mind through these stories, these encounters, and these people? And how will those affect our lives today? The passage we're looking at today is a short passage um, with a lot of content, though, so don't be caught off guard by the size of the passage because there's so much more that is contained in this section uh, that we're going to look at. And so we're going to be looking at today Exodus 15, verses 19 through 21. If you have your Bible, you can read along there, or you can click on the Bible tab in our online dashboard, uh, and you can uh, follow along there, or the verses will be up on the screen for you to follow along with as, as I read them. This is Exodus 15, 19 through 21. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground, Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Now if it was just that, we would gather that Pharaoh was chasing after the Israelites with his horsemen, And his army was destroyed by God as the sea that God had separated for the Israelites to go through was now allowed to come back and come over them. And in celebration, Miriam takes a timbrel, which is similar to to a tambourine, and leads the women of Israel in song, celebrating the reality that God has removed their enemies and that they are now free. But there's a word in there that I want us to explore a little bit, and that's going to help us to move into some bigger things. And it's a word that we can easily sort of skim by. Because what we really focus on in this uh, moment, and and, and in some ways rightly so, that's very important, but but we we focus on the, the song. But it doesn't just say that Miriam leads this song. It says that Miriam the prophet leads these songs. And there's a couple of things that are important about this. First of all, what is a prophet? In general, it's someone who speaks for God. But not in like a self-appointed way, like I'm just going to show up and say, oh, by the way, I speak for God. Because what we see throughout Scripture is people who genuinely speak for God out of a relationship with God where God has not just given them permission, but chosen, anointed, and called people to speak on God's behalf. It's also important to know that Miriam is the first woman to be given this title in Scripture. And so she becomes sort of an archetype, sort of a model for women to be prophets. But that's not all the Old Testament has to say about Miriam either. And this is going to help broaden our understanding of this passage. 
If we look at other places in the Old Testament, and we're going to start with uh, Micah 6, 1 through 4, uh, and this is what it says. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And we see here that Israel is needing some redirection from God. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had God speak something to you where you realized, I need a shift in the way I'm thinking. I need a shift in the way I'm acting or believing. Because that's the space Israel is in. And one of the things that God reminds them of is that God has brought them out of Egypt. And the way God did that was to send Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead to lead them. So not only is Miriam a prophet who speaks for God, but she's also one of the team of three that is given credit for being God's leaders to bring Israel out of Egypt. Now why is that such a big deal? Well again, we're gonna find this passage has a lot of content in it. Uh, It's like a really, um, if you have just one bite of a really well-cooked meal that has been seasoned well and cooked perfectly, You'll find it has layers of flavor and rich texture, and this passage is like that. If we look back through the book of Exodus and Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we're going to learn a little bit about the history between Egypt and Israel. In Genesis, through this kind of bizarre story uh, of this guy Joseph, Egypt actually has Joseph as the second in command under Pharaoh. And Joseph and his brothers and all their families had come to live in Egypt. And that generation we discover in the beginning of Exodus dies. And we read in Exodus 1, 6 through 10, it says this. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have come, become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Now I want to stop for just a moment. And note that this is what, when uh, humans get power, this is one of the things that we often do, is we fight to keep our power. A leader would only act like this if they had done something wrong and they knew it, or they had started feeling like the others were already moving against them. Because I always wonder when I read this, why doesn't the leader say, wow, there are tons of Israelites Let's partner with them. We should be allies. We should be friends. We should treat them well so that when enemies show up, we can support each other. But humans and power are a difficult mix, and I believe without God present and transforming us, we end up being ruled by a fear of losing whatever power we may have. 
And this is the difference when we see Jesus. Because we're told that Jesus gave up his equality with God and did not consider it something to be grasped for, to, to be held onto, something that would give him an advantage. And so Jesus gives it up. Where we see here, the king in Egypt at the time is holding on to it, fearful about losing it. So let's continue on. Uh, this is uh, Exodus 1, verse 11 through 13. So they put slave masters over them, being Israel, to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. The word that the NIV translates here for dread is more fully defined as loathing or a sickening dread. And so we see this uh, relationship changing and shifting. If we continue on, uh, Exodus 1, 14 through 22 says this. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered, Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. And so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. There is a sense of severity and cruelty to this. That Pharaoh has not only given permission, but given an order to all his people that if they encounter a Hebrew baby boy, they must throw it into the Nile River. It's not just a core group of leaders, not just the midwives. This is all Pharaoh's people, it says. So this is happening publicly. And the Nile isn't just dangerous because it's a river, but it's full of predatory animals. That's the setting of Exodus chapter 1. The relationship between Israel and Egypt. And in Exodus 2, we're introduced to an unnamed Israelite family of the tribe of Levi. We find out that a, a baby boy is born who should have been thrown into the Nile and destroyed. But the mother hides the child for three months. And it says until it's, it's, it's too late. It's just not going to work to keep hiding this boy. But the boy isn't thrown into the Nile. Instead, the mother makes a, a water-sealed basket and places the boy in it and sets the basket among the reeds of the Nile. 
An interesting side note here is that the word for basket here is the same word that is used for the ark in the Noah stories that we just heard about from Rich last week, which if you haven't listened to, you should definitely go listen to it. In fact, if you have listened to it, you should go listen to it again uh, because it's, it's amazing. But you have this idea here where God placed the hope of the future being in Noah's family in the ark. And here we have this mother placing the hope for the future of Israel in the basket in the Nile. And it's at this point that we encounter a new character, the sister of this baby boy. She's unnamed, but many think that it's Miriam because there are two places in Scripture that have genealogies that acknowledge uh, the, the families. Um, and in Numbers 26.59 and in 1 Chronicles 6.3, uh, we find two genealogies that identify Moses, Aaron, and Miriam as the only children in this family. But look at what we find out about this sister in Exodus 2.4. It says, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. She's looking out, looking out for her brother, even in these difficult situations. She has an eye on her brother to see what's going to happen. Hopefully, maybe waiting for an opportunity to move. And so we have this girl of unknown age on the banks, watching and waiting as her baby brother, three months old, is placed in this basket into the Nile, which is the place of death for all Hebrew baby boys at this time. And so I think Miriam is a steward of hope and of opportunity. Because both of these are answered as Pharaoh's daughter heads down to the river to bathe and finds the baby boy. One of the things that I've wondered as I read through this is, what if Pharaoh had found this baby boy? Would the boy have been spared? I don't think so. God's doing something here. So Miriam, the sister, sees that Pharaoh's daughter has not only found her baby brother, but also knows, because Pharaoh's daughter says, look, it's one of the Hebrew boys. So is aware that Pharaoh's daughter knows exactly who it is. And so Miriam, in this moment, steps out and says, hey, do you want me to go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter could have had Miriam killed at this point. Miriam is speaking to and engaging with power at great risk, but also with great hope. And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes. And so Miriam goes and gets guess who? Her mom, the baby's mother, brings her back. And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, come and nurse this baby for me and I will pay you for it. And so now not only is the hope it's in this baby surviving. But Moses is redeemed out of the place of death that is the Nile and is placed in the care of the very house of those who lead Egypt, the ones who are persecuting and oppressing Israel. And then we don't hear 
from Miriam for a while. But the boy grows up and is named Moses. And Moses is faced with the reality of how Egypt is treating his people. And God says, do something about it. And I think God picks Moses because Moses has a unique position of favor because God worked through the crazy hope and compassion of Moses' mother, Pharaoh's daughter, and Miriam. And so Moses tells Pharaoh, who's basically his brother, you can't treat my people this way. And, and he requests to go and worship God outside of Egypt. And he and Pharaoh go back and forth, and there's all these plagues, and it's really hard and really difficult. And finally, Pharaoh relents and says, yes, go. Take your people and go worship God. And so Moses, his brother, Aaron, and his sister Miriam lead the people out of Egypt. And in this moment, they're realizing we have a chance to leave the oppression we're under from a superpower. And so I don't imagine they grabbed a ton of stuff. I imagined it was like, let's get our stuff and run because who knows what's really going to happen in the next few moments. Is Pharaoh going to keep his word or is he going to change his mind? And Pharaoh changes his mind because he's dependent on Israel and, and, and them being slaves to him for his wealth. And so he sends his army after Israel, one of the most powerful armies on the planet at this time. But Israel escapes. And Pharaoh and his armies are destroyed. And so it's out of all of this that Miriam sings her song of liberation and exaltation to God for delivering them. She watched her brother be spared and she shaped the process and endured and participated in the whole Exodus journey. And so she celebrates. And oppressed people throughout history have also sung this song when freedom comes their way. And so anyone who has been freed from bondage can sing this song. As a follower of Jesus, Miriam's song also becomes our song. Because when God sent Jesus, at that moment, the ultimate horse and chariot were thrown into the sea as sin and death were defeated and all of the evil and horrific things about the human condition are thrown into the sea. And so there's a celebration. But it's not just that. Because Miriam's story for us today in January of 2021 as followers of Jesus means some other things too. First off, I think that it shows us very clearly that women are not just important to God, but that God says there's a place for you. When the stone was rolled away at the tomb of Jesus, the resurrection story was entrusted to women to tell first. And so the voice of women needs to be heard, valued, honored, and heeded. Not just as a token thing we're going to sit and I'm going to listen, but as directive, guiding, and leading. But throughout history, many women have instead been told who they are 
been told many lies about who they are over and over and over and abused and ignored instead of honored and listened to. And this really actually applies to all people who are marginalized or made less than human. But it begs the question then, are we listening? Are we somehow able to look for the bigger picture of God that can only be taken in when we listen to people who are different from us and not just listen, but to be able to be moved and taught by? Moses listened. It's an interesting passage in chapter 15, the part that leads up to Miriam's song, and we didn't read that. It starts with the very same thing that she said. And then it goes much longer. And a lot of people have thought that because, and it's sung by Moses, and a lot of people have thought, well, because that one's sung by Moses and it's first and it's longer, that Miriam's just kind of picking up on something that he sang. But the earliest traditions say that the whole song was Miriam's. And even if it was not, They say, scholars say, but because of the structuring of the passage and the way it's set up, that it actually is more likely that Miriam started this and then Moses, out of that, took what Miriam said and expounded on it. And so Moses listened and then what happened? He found new life and new words out of her words. Because if we're listening, we might catch the God who was on the move. We might be able to move with God. God was on the move and a girl who was hopeful for the life of her baby brother caught a glimpse of something and moved in an opportunity. I want to listen to that story and be guided by that story that I could move with Miriam and with God that I could catch the passing breeze of the Holy Spirit as it moves through the trees and learn to be in step with that Spirit. Because God is on the move. God is on the move in our world, in our country, in our state, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and in our hearts. And the horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. In Jesus, do we see that God is, is on the move, and that our faith is not about amassing and defending some great system of theology or or knowledge, but it's about joining in the movement fueled by the Holy Spirit speaking through a diversity of voices. What happens when we hear these voices and we learn and we're moved We looked at a passage in the book of Micah earlier. We looked at a small section. And if you remember, it was God contending with his people. God needing to offer redirection to his people. And him, him pleading, God pleads this case. How, how have I wronged you? What have I done to you? I, I led you out of Egypt and I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam to lead you out of Egypt. And here's the next section of that. It's Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with thousand, ten thousands rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I have a short story that I want to end with and then we'll have some questions. But this is from my own process and a lot of things going on. Um, I uh, have a friend who is a person of color who we've been talking about uh, issues of racism in our, in our world. And uh, one of the things that they uh, shared with me was that um, their father had always told them when you're walking down a sidewalk, um, you have to move out of the way for white people and that white people won't, um, won't move out of the way for you. It's just the way it is. And this was shared with me and I realized that there have probably been many times where I have, whether it was on a literal sidewalk or a figurative one, I have been walking in the world in ways that has perpetuated that. And um, Angie and I walk every Saturday morning, um, and, and one of the things that, that she's noticed is that um, I will see someone like a block and a half away and say, here, we gotta step to the side. Let's, let's move out of the way. And right now it's, it's both because of masks and pandemic, but it's also just uh, one of the things I have learned from my friend is, and, and taken is that I don't ever want anyone to feel like I won, that, that a white person will not move out of the way, um, and, and two, that I somehow some sort of right to be on the sidewalk that everyone else doesn't have. Um, and so I'm, I'm listening, I'm trying. And it's one small example, um, but I feel like those are the steps we have to take. What can it look like when we listen and then try to apply, try to learn, try to grow? I think it can really change the world. So I have a few reflection questions for you this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then Brian's going to lead us in a time of reflection with some music and then close us with a final song and benediction. But here are the, the, the questions to think on this morning. First of all, if this song of Miriam is for all of us to join in on, and it's true that the horse and rider of sin and death have been thrown into the sea, how do you respond to that this morning? Um, maybe you're feeling in a really great space, in a sense of, I'm hopeful, I, I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm working on these things, and there's, there's a sense of it feels really, really good. Um, I just saw a, a really interesting interview with uh, Anderson Cooper and Barry Black, who is the current chaplain of the Senate of, of the United States. And um, Anderson Cooper was interviewing him about the, the, the events that happened on Wednesday and what was it like and how were you responding. And uh, Barry Black said, um, kind of this key verse in my life, Anderson, is uh, that God will work, uh, God will work, uh, for the good of all, well, God will work in all things for the good of his people. Uh, hopefully you know the verse I'm talking about. I'm stumbling right now. But, uh, and, and, and 
Anderson Cooper was like, you know, I've always been fascinated with the idea that people can believe that even in the midst of hard things that uh, God is working these things for the good. And he asked him just really pointedly, so when you were being under attack in that building, did you feel that? Did you have to chase after it? Did you have to say it and kind of lean into it? Or was it just there? I thought that was a great question. And so you might be feeling like that. Even though things are hard, that feeling might just be really accessible to you. You might want to pick up a tambourine, start doing some celebrating. Or maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're in a lot of pain and the stuff in the world is overwhelming and the news is too much. And the things that you've experienced because of your gender, because of your ethnicity, because of other things that... Um, that people have been hard and difficult to you and, and treated you inappropriately. Maybe you're feeling stuck. Maybe you have been on, on, on the side of perpetuating those things and there's some things that you need to take and there are some horses and riders in your life that need to be thrown into the sea. That's all the first question. Second, how are you feeling in regards to the events in our country this past Wednesday, and, and specifically what feelings of yours uh, can you own and navigate, right? And again, it could be, wow, I've been working to, to change those things, right? And so how do you feel about that? Can you own those feelings and navigate those? And maybe it's, I've, I realize I've been um, part of the, the thing that is causing those, uh, those issues, and, and what are those feelings like? And can we own and navigate those? And then three, are there any things you are standing at a distance from and waiting to see what is going to happen? Like Miriam, looking on with her brother. And if so, what are they? And then the last part is, is it now time to move? Right? Miriam saw that opportunity and she spoke to power right, right there and then. Is there something right now that you're waiting for, but now it's the time to move? Let's pray. Lord, I give you great thanks that you are with us. Um, yeah, Lord, I just want to echo some of the songs we've sang. Come, Lord Jesus, we need you in every minute and every way uh, and all the things we're doing. May you be present with us um, in front of us, behind us, on each side of us, above us, below us, in the, in the minds and hearts and eyes and ears of everyone we speak of and think of and, uh, and that we see. Um, may we always have you as the center uh, of our lives. Um, we thank you for your presence in that space. Be with us, we ask again. In Jesus' name, amen.